We are so excited that you are here to listen to the Script Cake Podcast. Go ahead. Make my day. We want to help you develop your idea into a great screenplay. And who knows? Maybe you'll write the next big blockbuster. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! Well, there's always a chance, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Are you ready to learn about screenwriting? All right, then. Let's get started. Enjoy. Welcome to the first ever interview on the Script Cake podcast. I'm your host, Lavinder Gill. And today we have the steamed guest. (laughs) He didn't want to be called esteemed, so I'm going to go with steamed. Uh, (laughs) Yes, David Greenberg, screenwriter extraordinaire. Uh, David's written over 60 feature-length screenplays. Uh, he has 14 IMDb writing credits. I went and checked your IMDb page out today. I do? I didn't you do. Know that. Wow. And um, David's a professor who's been teaching screenwriting for how long? Um, 16 years, 16, 17 years. 16 years. So you've, you know, been through a couple of students here or there? A couple. Yeah. I, I last, I last time I checked, um, uh, and it was, was at some point last year, I had taught intro to screenwriting. I've had now over a hundred sessions of intro wow. to screenwriting. <laughs> so that'll put you over well over a thousand students that you've taught it to. Yeah, I think so. That's amazing. Yeah. And uh, in addition to all of that, uh, David is also writing a book on micro budget screenwriting. So we'll get to all of the good stuff here shortly. But before we do that, David, I'd love for you to just kind of talk to me about you know, how'd you get into filmmaking? How'd you get into screenwriting? What was that process for you? Really good question. I, I was, I, I think I was born into it. My father, when he was a teenager, was a professional dancer. My mother was an actress. So I was raised by artsy people. Uh, they both became English teachers. So there was always a lot of art in the house, music, theater, Um, One of my very earliest memories is, you know, when you're a little kid and you're walking down the street and you can barely walk and you're holding your mom's hand with one hand and your dad's hand with the other. Mm -hmm. I remember walking down the street as a toddler and being taken into a Charlie Chaplin movie playing at an old revival. Wow. So I think that was the first movie I ever saw in the theater was Charlie Chaplin's The Gold Rush. And it sounds hokey and cliche, but I really feel like something magical happened then and um, made my first film an animated film when I was nine Mm -hmm. and uh, just, you know, just loved movies. Um, My, my dad was a teacher, like I mentioned, both my parents were teachers and back then they didn't have video stores or anything. So if you wanted to show a film in class, you actually had to get the the reel-to-reel celluloid film. And so my dad had this big catalog of movies that were available, you know, no pictures or anything, just a thick book of movie titles and descriptions. And I just remember as a kid, just looking through that, reading one paragraph synopsises and imagining what the films were like. And as a teenager, I started going to the movies every week, usually really crappy B-movie, horror films, action movies, things like that. Uh, I remember 
the girl next door was a grade ahead of me in school. And I remember uh, I was like 16 and she was graduating early. And I said, so what, what are you doing in college? She said, I'm studying film. I'm like, what? You can go to college for film? I had <laughs> no idea. At that point, I, I left this out. At that point, I was really into comedy and I wanted to be a stand-up and I wanted to be on Saturday Night Live. But then I heard about film school. I'm like, I'm in. That's what I'm doing. So went to film school. Uh, was wildly unremarkable. Um, I, I had a professor literally rip one of my films to shreds, literally held the film in his hands and, and, and ripped it wow. into little pieces. Yeah. Um, my editing teacher told me two weeks before the semester was ending that I was probably failing. I managed to pass editing on the strength of my written work. Um, I got a B minus in screenwriting, so not a very <laughs> distinguished uh, film career. But uh, about a year after that, I got a job on a low budget indie film, um, which was great. Um, I didn't get paid. I was once on set for 45 hours straight. Um, you know, I came in. And uh, my mom was there back at the, the house. And she looked at me after working, after being on set for 45 hours, she said, I've never seen you look so good. Because <laughs> she, she knew that, you know, her little kid was, was living his dream. Um, so on that, that little indie film, I worked in every department. It's one of those all hands on deck kind of deals where one moment, literally one moment, the producer told me to go wash the executive producer's car. So I go take his car to the car wash. I get back. The producer says, what do you know about cameras? And like, well, I was only a year out of film school. So I still remembered how to, you know, disassemble and reassemble an old Bolex. Mm -hmm. So I knew something about cameras. He's like, great. You're the second AC. <laughs> <laughs> so you go from washing the executive producers the ep's car yeah straight yeah. to second ac i think that's a very common move in the industry these days yeah, exactly if you want to make it as an ac you better know how to wash a car <laughs> um so i finished that little indie film on a saturday and the next monday two days later i started work on a big budget hollywood film where i had one job, stable hours. It was like, I did the same thing every day. I was the set construction department PA, which mm -hmm. basically I meant I, I drove 200 miles a day buying wood and nails <laughs> and stuff like that. And for a kid just out of college, you know, the money was really good. I mean, more than, more than I expected to make, probably more than I make now. <laughs> but uh, the study in contrast between working on a big budget Hollywood film and a low budget New York indie film was really stark. And I saw so much waste and excess mm -hmm. on the Hollywood film. It really kind of turned my stomach. Also at that point, just working on two movies over the course of eight or nine months, I basically worked in every department you could work on work in on a film. And I thought to myself, well, I'm 23. I could do this for the next 40 years of my life, but is that what I want to do? 
And uh, I decided no. Uh, I decided to focus on screenwriting. Hmm. Um, I'd always been a writer, and I thought if I knew the technical elements of it, I could just make my own films. I could just write things and make them and all that. So, Can you uh, share with us what that big budgeted Hollywood movie was? I sure can. It was the original Pet Cemetery. Hmm. Stephen King Pet Cemetery. Okay. Yeah. And uh, if I, that, I can see if I can see your credit on it, you won't. As a matter of fact, <laughs> on, on on the on the low budget indie film where I didn't get paid, I'm in the credits. Mm-hmm. On the big budget Hollywood film where I got paid, you know, really good money, I'm not in the credits. So, I actually have a similar story to yours. Oh, really? I can't believe how many parallels we have. I mean, hmm. we've known each other for a long time and had plenty of conversations, but I'm learning all kinds of new stuff about you right here. <laughs> uh, yeah, my father's an oil painter. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's an artist, college professor. Uh-huh. And uh, my mother wasn't an artist. She had a, a very wise saying that uh, one artist in the family is too many. <laughs> That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, Despite all of that, I still ended up going to film school myself and uh, um, having somewhat similar experiences. Screenwriting was never on my radar. I uh, was a producing major, mm. much more interested in directing and producing movies. And um, I remember my first professional shoot uh, was for the special effects reshoot for the Nicolas Cage movie, Snake Eyes. Oh, nice. Yeah, this is down in North Carolina. We had a water park where they reconstructed uh, the pier in Atlantic City. I was going to say, I didn't know Snake Eyes shot in North Carolina. Yeah, it was just for this this one sequence. So we had oh. this um, uh, pier built miniature. I think it was, you know, uh, I don't know what the scale size was, but it was pretty small. And they had a wave machine. Okay. And mind you, I'm still in film school. I've been studying the history of cinema and, you know, how to do different shots and some lighting techniques and some basic screenwriting. And I show up and uh, they have rain machines because, again, they're recreating this kind of wave crashing down and destroying parts of the pier. Mm. But they needed some mini waves, you know, instead of just the one big wave, they wanted some small waves. So they have this guy on a jet ski where the wave machine is going back and forth, uh-huh. all right, to create some small waves that are yeah. hitting the yeah. fake pier. And he's got to get out of there before the big wave comes because it's going to kill him if that knocks him into all this stuff. And here I am in my early 20s or whatever, and they give me the responsibility of hitting the kill switch if the guy doesn't get out. Oh, <laughs> wow. Nice. And uh, I was a PA. And again, rain machine. So it's raining everywhere and you can't see anything. And I'm just sitting there. You know, they're all over far away inside a building somewhere. I'm standing in there just getting soaked, counting the seconds it's going to, that wave's going to hit to make sure this guy doesn't get out. Anyways, could you even see him? I could make him out. Yeah, I could make him out. But it was like, I mean, you're like in the middle of Twister is how it felt. You know what I mean? It was, it was crazy. And uh, I don't think I have a credit on that movie either. <laughs> yeah, it, it happens like that. You know, it does, I don't want to jump ahead, but um, these experiences, I think, are really critical and crucial because a, a couple of years ago, 
a few years ago, I was browsing a producer's message board mm-hmm. and a producer wrote in this, one guy wrote in this question, producers, what's the worst thing about working with screenwriters? And mm-hmm. almost all of the answers were, most screenwriters have no idea about what it takes to make a movie, what goes into the nuts and bolts of production. They just write things and expect people to make them. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really telling. And so I'm, I feel grateful and imagine you'd, you'd back me up on this, grateful for that knowledge, for, for knowing the nuts and bolts of how to make a movie. I would agree with you 100%. I think anyone who uh, has a desire to be a screenwriter, you need to get on set. You need to see how stuff works because in your mind, you picture it one way, but when you're actually trying to you know, piece it together, mm. uh, that's not always the case. I remember when I was in grad school, um, my screenwriting professor, one of them, he didn't have a background in screenwriting. He was a novelist who mm. basically had gotten one of his novels optioned and made into a movie. Okay. And that qualified him to see screenwriting. Action as a screenwriter, yeah. Uh, and we would be in class, and I'm the only one in that class that went to film school as an undergraduate. All of them were like English majors or something else, you know. Uh, uh, and Basically, we get to a certain point, he would pause and he would go, is this how you would do it on a set? You know, asking me. And I'm like, no, you would write it this way because the interior and exterior might be two separate locations. So you won't list it as one location. You'd list it as two locations because oh, wow. you're teaching the teacher. Yeah. So I was kind of and, and, and it was basically because, you know, I'd spent four years making movies. And yeah. I think that's a huge, huge, huge note, especially to novice screenwriters. Yeah. I, uh, I maybe to a fault. I, when I sit down to write a screenplay, I say, I'm writing for the producer. Mm-hmm. I, I'm writing with an eye towards the man or woman who is going to have to make this movie. Okay. Um, and there have been times where I'm like, I come up with an idea for a scene. I'm like, this would be such a pain to shoot. I'm not going to write it. Hmm. I, and, you know, I'd like, you know, I had, a, I had a really, really talented screenwriter, uh, a screenwriting student I was doing an independent study with, great, great writer, writing an action movie and a very elaborate, complicated uh, fight scene, final fight scene between the good guy and the bad guy on a sinking ship. So the, sh- the ship is sinking as these two guys are fighting. It was a great scene, but I did say, I just want to point out it's probably going to take two weeks to shoot this one scene, mm-hmm. maybe a week or two. And you just have to keep that kind of thing in mind that these two guys are fighting on the boat. The boat is sinking. Next time you have to do a take, that boat has to come out of the water. You have to dry the guys off because they weren't as wet and all the continuity stuff. Um, it was a great scene. Um but I don't think I would have ever written it because may, I, I don't think that I'm inherently lazy, but I see that and like, wow, what a pain this is going to be to shoot. Okay. Well, as someone who is a producer, in addition to being a screenwriter, I think you have that in you. And I know that when I write my screenplays, I'm writing them with three eyes, three sets of eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm writing them as a screenwriter who, you know, I'm just going to write what I'm going to write. Screw the producer and director. Mm-hmm. I'm also writing it as a director. So I'm actually directing while I write the screenplay, sure. which is something, you know, I talk to my students about. 
And I'm also looking at it as a producer, you know, like I, I uh, have moments where a student will write a scene, you know, the battle between 10,000, you know, British soldiers and 4,000, you know, whoever else they're fighting in this particular moment. And they'll write it as like one line, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in a screenplay. And I'm like, are you just going to show that for, cause one line is what the equivalent of what about six seconds, seven seconds right, like that. Yeah. If that. <laughs> and I'm like, that's like a 10 page sequence, man. You can't write it in one line. You've got to break it up and, you know, and also, yeah, it's X million dollars. If you're going to have that many people there, you know, you're yeah. only going to ever see that in a massive Hollywood movie or a game of Thrones type of thing. You're never going to see it in anything, you know, less than a hundred million dollar budget. Yeah, and that actually raises another question uh, or or issue. Um, I was telling about how I you know sometimes answer questions on message boards or you know ask to answer sites and things like that. Um, and we might be jumping ahead, but somebody posted a question. They said, "I've created my own cinematic universe, and I've written ten full screenplays. Uh, how do I get this to Hollywood?" <laughs> so, I'm sorry for laughing. No, but... uh, you, you know what? You both, you know, you, you both know. And I wrote, you don't. I wrote, I hope you enjoyed writing it. Yeah. I, you know, I said, screenwriting can be fun. It can be fun. It can be a fun hobby. And it's nice to imagine the world. And it's nice to think about who would play these characters and everything, but this person clearly doesn't know how it works. Um, you know, the, the stark reality is 94% of all screenwriting jobs are paid assignments where somebody says, hey, we want to do a new Full House movie or a new Care Bears movie. Would you write it? Right. Um, and in those those two particular cases, those are existing IPs, intellectual property. Um, hey, we're, we want to do an adaptation of the latest Nick Hornby novel. Will you write it? Um, so very rarely does somebody write a screenplay and send it to Hollywood and get it made. Um, I don't know if that's, we're getting too far, but you know, in the 90s, the spec script, uh, and uh, if listeners don't know, spec is short for speculative, meaning that you write it on your own and hope to sell it. So over 100,000 scripts get sent to Hollywood every year. And I think in the last year I saw stats for, I think in 2019, of that 100,000, 34 sold. Mm -hmm. So... That actually sounds high to me. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit down from the year before, but in generally less less than a hundred sell, right? Out of a hundred thousand, so that's kind of why I don't even do that anymore. I don't I don't send scripts to Hollywood. I used to, um, but I'm I'm back to the my first on set experiences. Uh, you know, I, I said that the waste and excess I saw in the Hollywood film really turned me off and the spirit of community and everybody being all hands on deck on the indie film 
appealed to me. And of course, this was, well, I'm dating myself now. This is back in the late 80s. And it's just when the whole indie film boom was happening. And I was attracted to that kind of movie. And I also knew I'm not a producer. I'm not a fundraiser. I don't like asking people for money. So I was said to myself, if I'm going to make a movie, it's going to be a low budget indie film, mm-hmm. which is the kind of movie I like anyway. So um, that's what I write. That's what I'm geared to, to write that's things that I can do myself. Is, yeah. I often find myself when I'm writing um, self-editing subconsciously. How so? For budget. For budget. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, um, I'm really trying to stop that. I know. Just because I'm limiting, you know, my creativity in some way. Shape, right. form. And, you know, I can always cut something out later on, but if I never write it, you know, maybe I'm, I'm losing the opportunity to get to some golden story nugget that, uh, you know, might've, might've happened. So that can yeah, be a I, pitfall. I do concur with, with, with what you're saying on there. You know, we've, uh, we've had similar paths cause you know, most of the films that I've worked on have been, you know, sub $1 million. I think I had one that was just over a million dollars mm-hmm. and, uh, um, same idea, same psychology, you know, my big thing is I like to be in control of my projects. And, yeah. You know, since I, I don't have a bankroll of a uh, budget of $50 million laying in the bank, so I can't go out and make a, a movie um, in that budget. Not to say it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I have written some big budget stuff, but, you know, we'll see. But I agree with you. It's, it's, it's tough. People don't realize there's actually more, you know, members of Congress than working screenwriters. Right. <laughs> Well, in the, in, yeah, in the conventional sense, if yeah, we think yeah. about, you know, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people get in or imagine some themselves becoming screenwriters for the payday because mm-hmm. they hear about this guy and that guy who make a million or $2 million a, a script, but that's only like, there's what, maybe 10 people, 10 people are making a million dollars a script, right? If that, so and yeah, most that can't people. be done. You know, I don't it think we want to discourage anyone from writing, but we just wanted to be realistic about it's tough business. It's a tough, tough business. You it know? is the average uh, WGA screenwriter makes between sixty-five and one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. Wow! And lives in New York or LA, where that kind of money does not go. <laughs> You're so, absolutely correct. If you're getting into it, you really get into it for love first. Right. Um, I mean, a lot of people, especially in the in the indie scene, are writer directors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I totally get wanting to make a movie. It's kind of intoxicating, but it really if you're is. doing it for money. If you're doing it thinking you're going to become a tycoon, I, I would say think again or, you know, become an investment banker. (laughs) If if all you want to do is uh, make money, there are easier ways to do it than making a movie. There really are. No doubt about that. But um, one of the things that I really want to focus on, because again, you and I have another similarity where we're college professors. Mm. We do deal with students all the time and Mm -hmm. and not, you know, novice students who are writing their first scripts or shorts or features. Yeah. Some common, um, mistakes or issues that you consistently have seen over your 16 year teaching career, you know, 
um, that that students are always making that we can try to maybe help some people nip that in the bud. Because I know, you know, I'm seeing the same mistakes today that I saw when I started teaching screenwriting, which was back in 2001. Mm-hmm. So I'm at 20 years. And um, I think there are so many things that could just easily be taken care of, but people approach the process uh, in such a way they're so fixated on what they do. Yeah. They don't really, uh, they don't see the forest for the trees. And I have conflicted feelings too, because you know, our bread and butter as screenwriting teachers is basically teaching conventional three-act structure. Right. And three-act structure has has its place, has a time and place, but I, I'm i always looking for alternative approaches to it. I'm always I, looking for a way to do it. I couldn't disagree and agree with you more simultaneously. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I was expecting that. Here's what I will say. Uh-huh. I look at uh, three-act structure as a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. And here's an analogy I'll make. Like, if you're someone who's never cooked before, you need a recipe. You need some guidance, okay? And I think that three-act structure is that recipe. It allows people to see kind of how you plot the whole thing out, what those elements are that are in place. But once you become a chef, you don't mess with recipes anymore. Oh, that's a really good point. You know what I mean, that's you just look at what ingredients you have and you make something amazing. And so um, I'm working on my book on, on screenwriting and I focus on a lot of stuff. I actually break it into a, you know, a four act structure because I think the midpoint doesn't get the respect it deserves. And so, um, and at the end of it, you know, one of the last sentences that in the book is going to have is now I want you to forget everything I just taught you and go write. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah. And so I'm at that point you know, I think probably about halfway, I'm probably around 30 features that I've written. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowhere near as prolific as you are, sir. Well, but, some of those are shorts. Some <laughs> are shorts, but yeah. Oh, I didn't add shorts into it, so maybe I'll have a few more. So, um, but I don't structure things out anymore, but mm-hmm. you, know, you know what happens? The first act break happens right around 25 or 30 on its own now. You yeah. Know, and the structural elements that are there you know, I do think the structural elements are important, you know. Absolutely. So another yeah. analogy is, you know, building a building. You got to have these pieces in there. They're going to hold the weight of the story. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah. I think it has to be on page 25. You can have first act break on page five if you want to and so on and so forth. And uh, um, was lucky to have a, a brief conversation with the great Scott Frank. Oh, yeah. Screenwriter. And yeah, he doesn't follow any of this stuff, man. He just did the Queen's Gambit series. Yeah, yeah. He's awesome. He did. He did. um, uh, He wrote, I think he wrote the great Soderbergh movie. I think he wrote Out of Sight, Mm -hmm. which is an amazing movie. Yeah. Yeah. And he also did uh, uh, A Walk Amongst the Tombstones, which is a movie that I think is highly underrated. Yeah, that was decent. Yeah, great, great visual writing that he has in that story. But he directs too. He directed a thing called The Lookout that I liked. Mm-hmm. So he um, he didn't follow any of these guidelines. His screenplays, you know, we tell our students they have to be between ninety and one hundred and twenty pages, and they have to have this, that, and the other. Yeah, his, yeah, my screenplays come in around 150, 200. and you know. But he's Scott Frank. <laughs> he's got an established career, and he has an incredible voice. And yeah, that brings me to one of my points is. Um, I rarely have students that want to explore their own voice 
And yeah, it's true. Well, I, I, and I think at the intro level, maybe it's too hard because we're inundating them with formatting and structure and so many other things. I yeah, uh, I think if you want to set yourself apart in this industry, you got to have a great voice. You do. Absolutely. You can't sound like everybody else. Um, and I've had uh, one of the criticisms um, that I've gotten was, and I actually um, consulted with a mentor uh, about this. And, you know, I, I, like I said, my parents were English teachers, so I use proper grammar when I write screenplays. But there, um, there's something called screenplay English, where you can use sentence fragments mm -hmm. and things like that, things that I don't use. And I asked this guy, I said, what, do I, what am I supposed to teach our students? Should I be teaching them to use proper English? And he said, you should be teaching them to get the point across, to, to get the reader to feel. And if it breaks the rules of grammar, so it breaks the rules of grammar. And he said, for me personally, for, for to you, David, talking to me, he said, you could probably use to jazz up your writing a little bit because I write in pretty conservative, proper English, mm -hmm. not long-winded or anything, but I use full sentences and proper punctuation and things like that. He said, you might want to spice up your, your prose a little bit. You know, I had an experience like that. Uh, I was teaching a young lady at Drexel mm -hmm. and uh, it wasn't that she didn't use necessarily uh, proper grammar. It was the way it was stylized. Mm. You know, like there was a lot of dot, dot, dots leading to the next scene. Yeah, you can that. overdo it. Some people overdo it. Yeah, but after, you know, I had her for multiple classes and the first class, her writing drove me nuts simply mm -hmm. because like you, I've had stuff beaten into my head that this is the way it's supposed to be. By the time she was working in the second class, uh, screenwriting two, she wrote a feature. Mm. I realized that I was hindering her voice by not allowing her to write the way she wanted to write. Does that make sense? It totally does. And you know, in her terror credit, she basically ignored my, <laughs> my teachings <laughs> anyways, because she had a really strong voice and uh, you know, she's already out in LA and doing her thing. And so, yeah, I love that kind of thing. But that was a discovery for me. You know, one of my favorite parts of teaching is I actually learn a lot of stuff while I'm teaching my students. Me too. Them. Being and a teacher has made me such a much better writer. Right. It's a mutual, the beneficial relationship. And um, yeah, so I've opened my ways a little bit, opened my eyes to, 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 to more processes because, yeah, my writing is, uh, is fairly rigid, I would say. Yeah, me too. Mine too. I'm a, I'm a often telling people I am not a talented writer. I'll just, I'll just work harder than most people. And that's, what's kind of worked for me. Um, there's a great quote. Hold on. Get, I, I know this is, I, I gotta, I gotta share you this quote, um, from Paul Schrader. Okay. Um, taxi driver, taxi driver who I actually had as a guest in my class for a screening of taxi driver. Wow. Amazing. And, you know, the lights come up after it and he's there and he just shook his head. He said, wow, I haven't seen that in years. That really took me back to a time and a place. But um, Paul Schrader says, I could be just a writer very easily. I am not a writer. I am a screenwriter. 
which is half a filmmaker, but it's not an art form because screenplays are not works of art. They're invitations to others to collaborate on a work of art. So um, back to what we were saying before though, about learning from people, one well, of my big- I wanna sit on that quote for a second. Oh yeah, yeah, let's do. Yeah, because a screenplay is basically a blueprint for a building. It's, it's, uh, I, I, it's exactly, it's an instruction manual. Yeah, and I love the line that we are not writers, we're half filmmakers. I've yeah. never thought about it that way. I'm gonna have to process and digest that a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one. I actually put it on my syllabus. How'd you get him in your class? He was an artist in residence. He came to Drexel for two days. That's amazing. Uh, like in 2006 or something. Okay. And, I wasn't there then. No, no, it was it was really cool. And so um, Taxi Driver wasn't even <laughs> scheduled to be shown in my class. I was teaching film history and it was mostly movies from the 30s, 40s and 50s, but Paul Schrader's on campus and they said, hey, taxi driver in class i'm like one taxi driver is easily in my top 10 favorite films right and have the writer in there was amazing but um no i was judging a screenplay contest a few years ago back to our formatting discussion and i'm reading the screenplay and like who taught this guy how to write this guy knows nothing about screenwriting there's like internal thoughts and sentence fragments and stylish things and um, all kinds of flourishes. I'm like, this guy doesn't know how to write a screenplay. So why do I love the screenplay so much? Mm -hmm. And I judged it. I said, I love the screenplay. I don't know how he gets away with this. And it won. <laughs> I uh, joined a screenwriting group back in the 90s. Hmm. Uh, I was uh, actually I had to drive two hours or two and a half hours each way to be a part of this group. Wow. And it was kind of, you had to get in, you had to be invited in, you had to apply, hmm. it was the whole thing. Wow. And uh, my buddy and I wrote a script and we kept getting hammered because again, it was like the first or second feature we'd ever written. Right. On little technical things. Mm -hmm. I need a comma here and you gotta have that there. And, you gotta... and he said something very interesting. He just said, I just got a quick question. He goes, do you want to keep reading? Hmm. And the guy goes, yeah. He goes, all right, well, then I'm not going to worry about the comments and another nonsense because that's not the point of this. <laughs> yeah, that's a really, really good point. So my, I, what I say in class often is that screenwriting involves two distinct phases. There's the creative conceptual phase where you're coming up with a story and writing an outline. And I think we've talked about this before. Did you say you don't do outlines? Um, Some I'm a big believer in outlines. Okay. But I don't I don't write them the way I used to. I used to write outlines outlines, you know, ad nauseum. Where yeah. I would outline every scene and every little thing and it would be this whole thing. I would have note cards covering the all four walls of the room and it would be a and again, it's because I didn't know what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Well, so, you know, if you Google how to write an outline, you'll get a million different answers. Right. So you know. What's I, funny that uh, I always want to tell my novice writers is that, you know, I've written 30 plus features. I still don't know what I'm doing. And it's way harder now than it was back then. I see. I That's one of the things I love about screenwriting. I'm going to get all touchy feely and spiritual and emotional here. To me, um, screenwriting really is, a kind of spiritual journey 
for me. And it is a practice um, like yoga or something. And I kind of feel like what I love about it is I'm always learning something new. I'm all, every script I, I sit down to write is a different experience. And to me, the, the day I say I'm a good screenwriter is the day I should stop because that means there's, I, I've decided that there's nothing new to learn. Mm -hmm. um, I, 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 I tell my students, I think in terms of having a virtual toolbox, there's all these things that you can put into a screenplay like voiceover and flashbacks and um, you know whatever else, all these devices and conventions you use in film, you're not gonna use them in every script, but you just know there's all these different tools you can use to write a screenplay. And you, when you sit down to write a screenplay, you never know. But back to what I was saying, so there's the creative conceptual phase where you're thinking of the story and you're writing in the, the outline. And I feel an, an outline can be written in whatever form works for you. I tell my students, okay, you have to turn in an outline and I'm the teacher and I have to give you a grade on it. But the reality is if you use this outline to write a screenplay and it goes well, you wrote a good outline. If you wrote an outline and you're, or if you sit, if you sit down to write a screenplay and you're thinking, oh, there should be a scene where this happens. No, then this should, if you're making it up while you're writing, I don't think your outline was good enough, mm -hmm. which leads me to the second phase, which is what I call the creative mechanical. If you write a good outline and you know every scene in order, that frees you up to focus on succinct but evocative scene descriptions and good dialogue. That and, and you know maybe it doesn't work that way for other people, but I like to have the story all planned out and written. So I will have the outline up on my desktop and all of the script up on my desktop. And I look at the outline, I see what scene needs to be written. I know what has to happen. And I just focus on the dialogue and the scene descriptions, not the story. Interesting. My process is probably a little bit more different. Um, mm -hmm. Generally, the most important thing for me is uh, a moment or a scene somewhere in the third act. You know, end of the second act, and I'm just writing to get there. Mm. Like I want, I want this moment to happen, and I'm here. Okay, how do I get there? And then I'll go back and I'll put a couple mile markers in. You know, I'll kind of know my first act break or a catalyst or a midpoint crisis or something like that. And then between those points, I just want to be free. I want to discover it, and yeah. I think I can because the structure and the process is so ingrained in my system now. Sure. I don't think I could five years ago or 10 years ago. And, you know, and so the way I'm approaching screenwriting for me is about personal growth. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because I want to learn about myself when I'm writing and I want to experience, you know, when you talked about the spiritual experience and the yoga and the things of that nature, I, I couldn't agree at all. I couldn't agree a hundred percent more. Um, than than I am it uh it is a process of self-discovery and I think that it sounds like you're doing the self-discovery within the scenes mm -hmm. and yeah. I'm doing the self-discovery within the groupings of scenes yeah sense? I see that yeah I think so it's funny that you say that about it about it being personal um I, I actually feel like it's not 
personal that I well he, okay now here's one of the big different well it's not a big difference but you know about me most of my work is for hire I very rarely at at this point I I don't know the last time I sat down and wrote a screenplay that was an idea that I came up with most of it is hey Dave can you write this hey Dave can you write that mm-hmm. um, and you know of course I I always try to put a little bit of myself and my own, you know, social, political, emotional agenda into the characters' mouths, but very rarely is it is it personal. Yeah, I, you know, a no one wants me to write their stuff as much as they want you to write their stuff because <laughs> for whatever reason they're not they're not looking for me. Yeah. Um, but I approach it from a completely different mindset where it's a hundred percent approach. It's personal. Wow. God, it is personal. I have a, a strong belief that the more personal my story is, the more universal it is. I think there's something to that. If it's coming, you know, we, I give you a quick example. Uh, yeah. man, this was a while, probably 10, 12 years ago. I got hired to, uh, write a sequel to a movie for this company that made like direct to video. It was back when, you know, DVDs were big and you right. get the Walmart $5 bin and that's what yeah. they get their DVD into. Cause yeah. you know, the $5 bin is cheaper than paying a babysitter. You buy a movie and pop your kids in front of it. And that's the way the psychology was back then. There was a movie called lost stallions that did very well because yeah, I think it, I remember that. You had a picture of a stallion on the cover, mm-hmm. you know, and a kid. And so, oh, yeah, I'll buy this to, for my kid to watch. And so I got hired to write the sequel. And um, I don't know if you know this about me, but I don't know anything about horses. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know anything about horse ranches. Yeah. I don't know anything about any of that stuff. Uh, I'm trying to think if I've ever even been to a horse ranch. I don't know that I have, except the one they were filming at because I went to the set. Eventually the movie got made. Um, so I'm like, well, what am I going to write about? And at the time, this was maybe a year or two after my mother had passed away. Mm. And I was still dealing with that. I had not processed it. I had not mm. grieved appropriately. Mm. I was just kind of carrying the weight of it with me. Yeah. I and, hear you. Um, so I decided to write a screenplay about my mother's passing as uh-huh. a therapeutic uh-huh. you know, device for me to help deal with and process it. And so, you know, I switched it around where the guy's father dies. Sure. And he starts, he's a teenager. He starts acting out to the point where he gets arrested. And I think he steals a car in the movie. And the uh, police officer hands his mom a brochure about this horse ranch for troubled kids. Ah, kids don't know it's a, you know, they just think they're on vacation, but it's actually the design, you know, through the horses and the experiences that you have there to help you kind of therapeutically deal with whatever issue you're having. And the day they get to the ranch, um, there's a horse whose mother dies right then, Mm -hmm. you know, and he sees this and obviously it's an external. Yeah, sure. And somehow he and the horse just kind of bond. Oh, nice. Okay. And so when that horse eventually runs away, he grabs a couple of the kids that he met and he has to go, you know, and uh, help and bring the horse back. But all I did was take my pain and stuff and I dumped it into the character and I got to process and I got to heal that character. Hmm. I think in some ways it helped heal me. So it's a very personal process. That's very personal. See, that's, I wish I did more of that. 
Uh, I mean, I, 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 hearing you describe it, I'm, I'm, I'm not as far away from that as I initially thought, but no, that's, that's a good story. Thank you. And you know, well, it did well. We, we made the movie, Mickey Rooney did it. Right. I remember I was, uh, myself, the director and one of the lead actors were being interviewed on a local radio station, you know, promoting the film. Mm. And the, uh, the DJ was just busting my chops the whole time about how unnecessary writers are, <laughs> all this kind of stuff. He was just, I oh, knew him from before. So he was just giving okay. me grief, okay. And, uh, and, you know, what are you going to do? It's his show. I'm not going to tear into him or anything. And he goes, so how'd you guys get Mickey Rooney? And the director goes, the script. You like the script? Wow. And he goes, we actually sent him other scripts. He said no to all of them, but he liked this one. Wow. The guy looked at me and goes, touche. <laughs> you know? I mean, so, that's the thing. You know, I, I do feel like people give lip service to the writing process, but I feel the overall attitude is that the screenplay is like a necessary evil. Right. And I get a little, um, I don't know, snarky in class. And I say that my observation is, or my, my, feeling is that a lot of people go to film school because they want to learn how to push buttons on machines. Mm -hmm. um, there, there's no button to push to write a screenplay. I mean, yes, now I, I hear they have these really good script bots and AI programs that will help you write a screenplay. And <laughs> I've never heard of any self-respecting, well-established, well-regarded screenwriter who admits to using AI to write a screenplay. Right. So screenwriting, you have to sit down and do the hard work and that's mental and emotional work. It's not just putting pushing a button. And yeah, so that's the, the, the same process that I have. I know that with a lot of my students, they come into my class with a preconceived notion of what they're gonna write. And that's mm -hmm. where I have a, a biggest struggle because a lot of their ideas, they don't even qualify to be a screenplay idea. Do you know what right. I mean? Right. And so um, we have kind of this mental battle for the first week. And, you know, I got a class starting up here in about a week and I'm, you know, guessing that, you know, the similar is gonna, thing's gonna happen as it does in most terms is, you know, I'm gonna write a horror movie. Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with you writing a horror movie, but there's no story there. It's about a yeah. killer. Well, that sounds interesting, but there's still no story there either. <laughs> and it's like, I gotta get them to understand there's a story and then you can worry about the genre and the murders and all the other right, cool exactly. stuff. There, you there want has to be. About. There has, yeah, there has to be. You need to spend some time thinking about, you know, again, going back to what we said earlier, what's your voice? What do you want to write? What do you want to say? What do you want people to leave the theater with? Yeah, exactly. That's one of the big, and honestly, when I get hired as a, as a writer for hire, one of the first things I say to the producer is, okay, when people watch this movie and they're leaving the theater, they say what? that movie was really fill in the blank. And I asked the producer to tell me what they want people to get out of the movie. And that that's what I shoot for. Nice. Yeah, that's um, very rare. And then here's a really interesting uh, problem related to that. Um, I'd say eight or nine out of 10 producers I asked that question to, they can't answer. They don't know what they want. They're like, uh, isn't that your job? Like, we, you're making the movie. Well, they want the people to get to the theater and pay for watching it. Right. I'm yeah, really right. concerned about what happens, you know, once we have their money, let's just move on. Yeah. One guy gave me a really good answer once and I wasn't expecting it. I was like, oh, okay. You really thought this through. 
So that was good. Care to share? Sure. It's um, on the surface, it is a dumb horror movie. It's about um, a group of kids who break into an abandoned prison. Um, and so the prison once held a notorious serial killer who had been a ward of the state, who'd been an orphan, who never had a home. Um, the prison became his home. The main character of the story is this kid um, whose parents died right before he graduated high school. So his plans for college were destroyed and he never got to go away to college like all of his friends. He had to stay in his small hometown. So his home became a prison, whereas the prison, the killer's prison became his home. Ooh. So it really wanted me to explore the concept of home, what it means. Wow, that's yeah, amazing. I was really amazed. I was like, whoa, you should write this. It wound up being, I'm trying to remember if I actually, yeah, I wrote, well, okay. <laughs> That's an interesting story too. So I wrote the screenplay, um, but the producer said, now the director wants to make up all the kills himself. Meaning like the director wants to decide how all the kids, the characters get killed. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have to put that in the screenplay. It was just like, Michelle walks down the hall, gets killed. Jimmy goes up the stairs. <laughs> That's got to be weird man, to write it like that. It was really weird. I was like, wow, it should be interesting to see. Did that, uh, get made? that did not get made. It, it came close a couple times. But, and the guy is still trying to do it. It must have been. It probably was 10 years ago. Yeah. Maybe a little bit longer. That's early. another thing. A lot of these movies take forever to happen. Yeah. You know, That's that, a thing too. Yeah, it really does. That's a big process. I mean, like I say, I'm so indie minded. I also say, don't write a symphony if you don't have an orchestra who can play it. Um, I, I'm I'm very much about what what can you and your friends go out and make. Interesting. I always suggest for my kids, whether they're screenwriting majors or animation majors or whatever, go make a movie this summer. You're going to learn more making that movie than you will in four years of film school. <laughs> Absolutely. Just go out and, and make movies. And I, you know, the, most of the people I'm interviewing for my book who are, are pretty well-established indie filmmakers is they just say, go make movies with your friends. They'll suck at first, but the more you do it, the better you get. Uh, I think that's probably some of the best advice we can give, especially if you're a screenwriter. Yeah. Make a movie so you understand the logistics of what happens so that when you write, you understand what you're writing for. You're not writing in a vacuum. Right. Now that actually reminded me of something I wanted to touch on earlier when we were talking about structure, three-act structure. If you really want to have fun sometime, go on a screenwriter's message board and see people uh, argue about four-act structure versus three-act structure. Um, you know, some people say act 2B, the second half of act two, should be its own separate act. Um, I get the argument, but I think it's just semantics. But anyway, um, take a look at the last few, uh, five, 10 movies that won Oscars for best original screenplay or best adapted screenplay. You'd be hard pressed to find one that follows conventional three-act structure. Right. Yep. So yeah, it's a good way to break in. It's formulaic. 
you, you, it's, it, I mean, nobody learns how to play piano without playing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star first. Right. So I always focus on, I don't want you to break the rules of structure until you have a reason to break the rules for structure. Exactly. So if you just and, do it willy nilly, that's not, you're not getting anywhere. But if you're like, you know what, I'm going to break it because of this and you have a legitimate reason. Yeah, Absolutely. The other example I use is, you know, I, I show this, I mean, we're, we're just audio only today, but in class I put up a painting and I show a picture of a painting and it's like uh, a man and a woman laying in bed and it looks like a man and a woman laying in bed because it looks like a room and there's a bed and there's a clearly a male figure and a female figure and it's, it's realism. Mm -hmm. And I say, can anybody name the artist? Nobody can. Then I put up the next slide and I show Picasso. And I say, can anybody name the artist? They say, yeah, it's Picasso. Then I go back to the first slide and say, this is Picasso too. Wow. Picasso could paint realism. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I might have to steal that from you. That's amazing. Yeah, I'll, I'll yeah. send it to you. Yeah. yeah. So cool. I love that. So, all right. So we've been rambling on for some time here. Yeah, I do good. want to take a few minutes and talk about your new book. I wish I had a movie. I wish we could go to a clip. I've always wanted to be on a talk show and say, <laughs> yes. Well, in this clip, Jennifer Lawrence and I are running from the monster. <laughs> one so, day soon, sir. One day soon. We will have clips. Um, screenwriting for micro-budget films. Yes. What do you have? You have ideas for movies. What don't you have? A lot of money. Um, that should not prevent you prevent you from making a movie, but you have to go about it the right way. Writing a movie to be produced for no money is hard. You know, um, on a big budget film where you just have buckets of money, you can do anything you want. And um, in some ways, I I feel that might hinder creativity because the sky is the limit. You want flying dragons or flying pigs or anything? Yeah, they can do that. But when you don't have all those resources, you have to get really creative. You have to, you know, think of ways to tell a story without spending a lot of money. So um, I made a movie for $18,000 a few years ago, and it's six characters in one location. Um, we were talking about structure and whether, you know, I knew in this particular case that three X structure was not going to work for this movie because there are big spans of time. If you follow three X structure rigorously, there there's chunks of time where nothing in your movie can happen. So I had to, so it's important to note that I didn't use three X structure, but I created a structure for it. Um, I made sure that there was a big beat. There was like an act break every 10 minutes um, instead of every 30 minutes. So for the book, I've gone out and I've interviewed some very, very well-known indie filmmakers, um, Alex Ross Perry, um, Lawrence Michael Levine, who has a new great new movie out now called Black Bear, which in part, takes place during the making of a low budget movie. Um, and if you ask me, I think it is, it seems based upon the production of a low budget movie that he produced and his wife directed. 
Um, so it was really interesting. Um, so yeah, looking for ways to, uh, micro budget films are a whole different thing. Um, basically, I don't want to give everything away because I want listeners to go buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> basically, you have to reverse engineer a story. Basically, with micro budget films, with, with regular films, you write the story and then you go out and you find locations to shoot the story. In a micro budget film, much of the time, you think you, you need to take stock of your resources and write your story around there. So it's like, oh, my grandparents have a pizza parlor. Um, I'm sure they would let us shoot there. Well, then you write a screenplay set in the pizza parlor. Right. That kind of thing. So lots of examples of that, lots of hacks and approaches to that. So I'm hoping it's out by the end of the year, but it might be next year, it might be 2022. Okay. So we should keep a lookout for, and what's the name of it? Have you named it yet? I, I think they named it. The publisher said it's screenwriting for micro-budget films. Excellent. So, David, thank you so much for taking the oh, time. Pleasure. Yeah, this is great. I know you're a busy man, and, and, and you know everyone's after you to write their screenplays, so really appreciate you taking the time. And I'm going to plug my own book, too, uh, Top 10 Mistakes Novice Screenwriters Make. We're, we're looking to be out here a little sooner, hopefully in the next three to six months. Is that what so, your book is called? Is that, is that the name? Yeah. Oh, good. I want to see it. I, I want to read that book. Well, you're one of the people that's actually going to have to read it before it goes oh, to print. Okay. <laughs> so that's going to that's going to come your way sooner than later. All Sounds right. good. No, good. Cool. <laughs> so uh, I'm still I'm still expecting you to buy a copy, just so you know. Yeah, of course. All right, David. Thank you so much. Uh, hope yeah. you guys enjoyed it, and uh, we'll have the next uh, script cake podcast coming out soon. Sounds good. See you guys soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Script Cake Podcast. If you have any questions on screenwriting, please feel free to reach out to us at info at scriptcake.com. Also, please like our social media pages. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, check out our website, scriptcake.com. Until next time.